Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Internet DNA with me, Abby. And me, Dan. This week, I want to talk about breakpoints, but uh, I'm not convinced Dan does, so it may move into prototypes or somewhere else. But breakpoints to me are a sort of, I don't know, a den of iniquity? Could it be that? A mine of something or other, or a complete black hole, actually. What are the optimum bootstrap breakpoints these days? There's actually a way of working this out, which is if you were to plot all the screen sizes between, let's say, zero and 1920 because i don't think anyone with a bigger monitor actually ever looks at it full screen no i agree 1920 is the biggest yeah so and if you plot all the screen sizes so you can go to any number of sites that will give you statistics on screen sizes and web use yeah and you plot them all together what you'll find is that they group into little sort of sections and generally the accepted idea is that it's 600, 900, 1200, 1500. You could do it at 400, 800. But the thing when you start doing that is a lot of the screen sizes you'll find like 768 and then 960. And actually, those screen sizes aren't that different. And so, what you'll find is if you put them all onto a grid line, you will find spaces in between those groupings. And they're the places where you should break the points. And you will find just because of the way that monitors are, that they're always divisible by 256 one way or another, is that it works quite well when you do it in that way. Because I use eight point grid, I sit as close to six, nine, 12 and 15 as is divisible by eight. Right. So that's my next question. I completely agree with you on that. And that's what I designed to as well. But I was pushing a client to let me design for a wider container than the 1,200, saying, actually, I could make more use of this space on in the UK, in the US, and probably Europe and a lot of other places on a majority of laptops and screens these days. And so he said, fine, just create a new breakpoint for me. And I thought, did I go to 600 or did I go to 500? And if I go to 500, what is the breakpoint once you've added the container? So in the end, I went for 1440 because right. that was 12 columns of 90 yeah. with 15 gutter either side yeah. and then giving you space for the container on the outside. Yeah. Is that correct or should I have gone slightly uh, okay, bigger? So- Basically, you have to understand what your grid is. So I use a thing called an eight-point grid. So I would always use something that was divisible by eight because that's the way it works. But the key is that what you don't want is that your breakpoint actually sits at a resolution. So for instance, if there's a resolution of 1440 by 860... Which there is. You don't want that to be your breakpoint because it's actually going to sit right on the level. What you want to find is the spaces in between the groupings of resolutions and then use those as your breakpoints so that you've got very clear points where they will break where the next size screen is going to work properly now most modern screens are now at what's known as uh, 1080 so that's 1920 by 1080 which is i guess it was called hd originally when that was a big size but almost all new monitors are that size Very few people do full screen unless they're using business apps like email and that sort of thing. Most websites don't extend that wide because you start to get into a really awkward situation where let's say you had six columns and now you're collapsing them down into one column. You're going to get a problem with ordering and actually is there vastly too much stuff on it. So now you're going to have to get into a not just responsive but adaptive where you say if 
we're into this break point, then start adding this kind of content, or you can now add this rather than how do I fold all of this in and out? And actually this comes from what people pay a lot of lip service to, which is mobile first, but very few people actually do which is to design the mobile screen first and then to say, and this is what it would look like on what used to be called tablet screens, but that slightly wider thing up to about a thousand pixels where you say, okay, and these devices, you can start to show more because there's more real estate to show it. And then once I'm onto a desktop or if I'm onto a really big screen, so it's rather than trying to reorder everything, you actually start to add in more complexity perhaps because there's more real estate in order to display that complexity in a meaningful way. One of the things I often find is that mobile apps are obviously very limited compared to their desktop variant. And that's actually a purposeful and mostly correct way of doing it because you on the mobile you should say what do I absolutely need to show and then by the time on the desktop you've got more space you can say well actually we can add this in it helps and it expands on it given the added space well also you have to think about what the user is doing and how the phone or the tablet or the laptop is being used within their life and it may be that they're on the go with the phone and so they're rushing and they're holding something in their other hand and they've only got a thumb whereas on the desktop they're either on their lunch break or they have sat down to do a particular task so they spend more time so context is everything what are they doing on mobiles and what do they do on desktops that they don't do on mobiles because maybe the process is too complicated on a mobile I'm banking apps are quite like this. You get, let's say, the seven functions that you do a lot are usually on the app, but all the other functions that you very rarely do, they generally are on the website or they have a complicated process, let's say like a loan process. That's something that you might decide when you're prototyping the thing, actually, we don't need this on a mobile. People don't do this on a mobile. And that's an interesting point because when you say people don't do this, we've decided that people don't do this and we may have done quite a lot of research, but I often find in the mobile version that it is missing an integral part of how I use that website. And I find that on Gmail, which drives me insane, that I can't select the mark as unread on my phone. Well, the thing I really want to do is select mark as unread because I may have glanced at it on my phone and I want to come back to it on the desktop. You're going to tell me I should star it, but that's not how I work. Now, the same happens on a banking app. And actually, the same happens on things like Airbnb and TripAdvisor rentals. The things that I need to do are not possible on the phone. I have to then go and sit myself down at the desk to do it. This is being a host. And so you have to be very careful with what you cut out and go, People don't do that. No, okay, if so I was the I'm sort of person that liked to complain, I would be is, sending emails. What I'm not saying is that people don't want to do it or the odd person may wish to do it. But you've got to be very careful when you're building mobile apps that you don't basically create a Swiss army knife, which while it has all the functions, none of the functions are as good as having the single tool. You know, so a, <laughs> so a Swiss army knife has a, has a saw like on it. Toothpick. <laughs> yeah, a Swiss army knife has a saw on it. It's not as good as a saw. A Swiss army <laughs> knife has a pair of scissors on it. They're not as good as a pair of scissors. And it's the same thing, which is... And a Swiss army knife has... A at least three things that you have no idea yeah. what they're for. No one's ever but written that's... anything with a pen. 
in a Swiss Army knife. Oh, I'd forgotten the joys of guessing. Do you do your Duke of Edinburgh or be away where you sort of had to spend an awful lot of time with not very much stuff, probably before screens. And you would guess what all the items on the Swiss Army penknife were for. Yeah, so I do a lot of biking. And obviously, when you go biking, you use multi-tools because you don't want an entire tool set in the back of your bag. But it's almost always the tool you need right now isn't in your multi-tool. And often they have a thing called a chain breaker, which I actually have to carry a proper chain breaker with me because the one repair you sometimes really have to do when you're out and about is to relink a chain. You might snap a chain, you have to relink it. And the ones that come with multi-tools are so bad that they're almost not worth having on the multi-tool and i'd rather that they actually had like a torx 25 that i do use quite a lot so that's like allen keys i am sure there are only ever two types of allen key screws but the allen key comes in a kit with 24 yes (laughs) like can we can we not formalize and and put in a european rule and then move out and put a british rule well i think it was actually can only ever be two allen key sizes i think it was the japanese like the toolkit in the back of a Japanese car basically only had four tools because they're just standardized. It's either a 12 or it's a 16 if it's a big one or it's a bolt. That's it. Whereas British cars, you literally need an entire garage just to change the spark plug because nothing is the same size. And that process of engineering is exactly what you then take into web apps, which is it's not that some people don't want to do complicated things on their mobile because they live mobile lives. But... The fact is, is that it's been decided that to stop the entire app becoming fairly difficult to use for everybody, that it's better that a few people are slightly inconvenienced. And so it's like it's like packing. It's very much like packing. So when I go on holiday, I take my hand luggage and it's hardly got anything in it. I mean, it just bobbles about in it. And then I see people going on holiday who might even be going on holiday with us who've got four things that are going in the hold. And I can't imagine why you would need four suitcases to go on a beach holiday. <laughs> just what are you doing? Like, how many all swimming, occasions. How many pairs of swimming trunks do you need? You know? I pride myself on minimal packing. So, yeah. yeah, you're talking to the converted there. Yeah, exactly. And I think you have to apply the same thing to... to it's exactly the same, isn't it? We're talking about user experience here. And yeah. it's looking at what is absolutely needed. And yeah. as we talked about UI design, it's just as important to remove things as it is to put things in. And that is what I do with packing. I put things there. And then I start taking everything out again. I agree. It's exactly the same. But I still want to say to Google, please, can I have my markets unread button back? Yes. and I, However and much unpacking they want to do, I want that in my suitcase. And what you'll probably find knowing Google is it is there. It's just some weird swipe you haven't worked out yet. No. No? I've okay. tried every sort of swipe and all I do is delete things and put them in obscure places that I've never been archives able to find of, again. Yeah. yeah, what is an archive? I've never archived anything. Okay. Where does it go? It goes into all mail. So the way that Google Mail works is there are no folders. There are just labels. And so when it's in the I've inbox, got it has... of folders. No, you think they're not folders, but they're not folders. Because you can have things in multiple folders. You can file things in Google Mail in seven different folders. Because actually, they're just labels. It's quite a distinction. A folder is like you put something in a folder, and that's where it is. It can't be in two folders. It's only be in one folder because that's what a folder means. If you take the anamorphic representation of a folder, I take a piece of paper, I put it in a folder. I can't put that piece of paper in two folders. A label is, I stick a bunch of labels on it, 
in different colors and it doesn't matter i can say right i'm looking for things that are purple label on it and i can pull everything out with a purple label it may also have a green label and a blue label so inbox in gmail is just another label if you actually look at the email at the top you will see that it has the label inbox and when you archive it just removes the inbox label and if you haven't put another label on it it just sits in all mail there you go have i explained something to you i'm riveted <laughs> See, I really like it because, for instance, let's say I get a, a, a third party invoice in. I'm going to A, label it that that's come from that third party, so my hosting company. I'm going to label it that that's related to this client. And I might relate it to a project. Yeah, you but you've got I mean? a really nerdy brain. I know. But that's I go, why I like it. Here's a folder. I'll put it in there. I'll put it in invoices. Pfft. Yeah. And then but, I'll use the search tool to find it. Because yeah. have you ever actually gone to a folder to look for things? No, you just search. Oh, yeah, but I use the search to say in label. So I say in label, client name, invoices, and then I'll know that I'll get that client's invoices. One of the things I do a lot is create filters. So very little of my email actually goes into my inbox. I file it automatically into folders, and then I only show those folders if there's unread email in them. And then I can go, oh, I've had an email from so-and-so, and I can go and have a look. Oh, no, I could never do that. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's kind of part of it because sometimes I'm not in the mood to deal with certain things. Which is why you need the markers unread so that you can go, oh, I can't be bothered with that, mark it back as unread and leave it until you've got the Yeah, but then brain see, the way I deal with that is I don't read them until I've got the brain capacity. Then I'll open that email and have a look at them. Don't you just get a little bit of a feeling like you've just got to click on it? And then you go, oh, I wish I hadn't, mark as unread. But you just can't help yourself. It might say you've won a million dollars in there and you just have to check in case. I think because I've used Gmail for such a long time, I've got like 84 things in my starred email, which are things that I actually need to deal with too much of my email is what i call nonsense email ntr stuff please don't reply to this i'm telling you something you don't need to say thank you i'm assuming that you're thankful that should be a hashtag or an i'm assuming you're thankful, <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming please you're thankful. don't email me back just yeah, to well, say you know, you're thankful i have a thing i actually use it internally where i put nntr at the bottom of things which means no need to reply and people know that now and i also have a filter that says if i get a reply to nntr just Mark it as red and file it because it's just going to be someone saying thank you. I'm a little bit nerdy, as you say. and It's a bit like when you say thank you in a car when you're passing someone. And I used to get really cross with Eddie, my husband, that people couldn't see him when he just sort of raised his finger. And then he pointed out that me sort of taking two hands off the wheel and waving frantically and my thanks was probably a More little bit extreme as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably something in between raising a finger one inch and waving like a fraggle out of the window. In between, there's probably... But at least they know that I'm really thankful. Yeah, really, really thankful. Either that or in terrible distress, one of the two. Anyway, I wanted to go back a bit because I haven't finished my conversation on breakpoints. Of course not. Obviously, the smaller breakpoints are all fine, but it's only recently that we've had the fourth breakpoint. The larger one, the 1,500. If you're saying... That I shouldn't have done 1,414. No, I think you what should. size should I have done? And what do you mean by eight point? I worked to a 12 column grid. I mean, you don't know what a super nudge is. Okay, so if you nudge something, it moves one pixel to the whichever way you're nudging it. If you hold, is it shift? If I was just sitting at my computer, I could tell you. And then press left, it will move it, what's called a super nudge. 
My God, you can teach your grandma to suck eggs. What program are we talking about that I can do super nudges in? I think any program. I think Photoshop does it. Illustrator does it. I use Sketch, and Sketch certainly does it. So all of these things. So basically, you set it that the grid is eight. It has seven subdivisions. So every eighth line is a hard line. And then everything is a division of eight. So, But it's not. I can't have three columns with eight. No, no, no. But what you'll say is, right, what I'll have is I'll have a column that is, let's say, 96 pixels wide. I have four of those in a column. And then if I've got four columns, I'll have 16 columns. And then the gutter is every measurement is divisible by eight. So instead of my gutter of 15, yours is 16 or eight. Exactly. And what that does is it removes the 15. You'll never have 15. What it does is it removes all the in-between spaces. So it's literally every eight, that's what you can have. So you say, right, my gutter is 32. My spacing between the edge of a button and the words is 16 pixels, blah, 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 blah. And it all rolls out into these eight by eight. Now, the reason why that's quite clever is because all screens will be Are some division of two, two, three, five, six. Tango. Oh. Exactly. Okay, so you're being a bit political here. You're still dodging my question. Yeah, what is... size should my grid have been for the larger 1,500 plus screen? All phone sizes sit less than 600. All tablet sizes sit less than 900. Tablet landscape sits less than 1,200. Almost every desktop resolution sits between 1,200 and 1,800. And then you have massive screens that are totally separate. So by four column... The fourth column should really start at 1,200. So you do one column on phones, two columns on tablets, three columns on tablet landscapes, four columns for desktops. I do see what you're saying, but it's still not answering my question. If yes. I use four columns, should what stop. width should that container be? Designs are responsive, and I build responsive designs all the time. And when I'm using Sketch, that's much easier. However, I sometimes have to do flat designs. Yeah. And I have to provide flat designs. Yeah. And I provide them at different breakpoints. If I'm doing flats for people, I do 360 columns because they're basically in between 300, which are the smallest, and 400, which are the biggest. And they're generally the size where everything looks sort of correctly condensed, if you know what I mean. Because at 300, everything's a little bit tighter than you would probably want it, but it still works. At 400, a little bit wider than you would really want it. You know, unless you're using VW, where everything's actually scaling dynamically with the screen size, then normally what you're doing is you're adding width because the screen is getting wider. So I would do flats at 360 because I'm an eight-point grid man. Which comes out at 1,440, which is exactly what I did. Yeah. So I was right all along. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you. But you're saying that I shouldn't have done that size. You have on any website a maximum container size. Now, that might be full width, which means it keeps going forever. But normally, you will constrain your content, not including banners and things. Not always. Some designs are literally designed to full width, which is great. But most will say, once you get to this width, you then get white space either side. It does right. not stretch any further. Right. And it used to be... Once you hit 1,200 or a container of 1,170, then it stopped. There's no more stretching and you just have white space. Yeah. But I wanted to go larger than that for yeah. this particular client who likes flat designs because I felt that actually 1,200 was quite small. So yeah. I've said, 
keep stretching up on yep. these columns until you hit 1440 and then you get your clear space okay that's not but, a css breakpoint i'm not going to write a media query saying if you're over 14 yeah because it's going to hit the max width of the container and it's just going to stop for obvious reasons it would but be. i am suggesting that the max container width should not be at 1200 no i'm suggesting not. it should be widened yeah i totally agree with that yeah that would be a perfectly fine width to stop at because it's not a break point it doesn't matter it will go to the max width of that screen and any bigger than that you keep dragging your browser out it's just going to sit in the middle and just have white space either side but what you're saying is actually if it's four columns below 1200 should drop to three because actually yeah. that's getting quite small yeah obviously it depends on different types of websites where you're not presenting a vast amount of information it might not be so much of a problem where you're doing something like a blog it might mean that longer titles start to drift over four or five lines and that may not be what you're looking for in the design right okay that's all we have time for yeah. so goodbye for now and look forward to speaking next week cheerio bye, bye.